Well, let's pray as we open up God's word now this morning. Thanks for having these things be shared, Father. And uh, I pray that you'd move with great power now through your word. Amazing book you've given to us, uh, the book of Isaiah. And I need help big time, Lord, with the weightiness of, of what is in these chapters. So would you help me? And would you help each of us now, Lord, to hear you, to respond to you? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 13. Back into Isaiah. It's been a couple of weeks as we were focusing on Christmas and then last Sunday. And uh, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 13. Uh, if you need a Bible, we'd love to bring one to you so that you can open up and look on. Um, study with us. The Bible is the most important word you're going to be reading, hearing, thinking about this morning. Isaiah 13 is on page 576. And the Bibles were passing out. Now let me introduce uh, the, the topic of this passage in this morning's uh, message. I want to take you back, most of you weren't alive then, but the 1950s in Russia, some of you were, I was, uh, uh, Russia under Stalin in the 1950s. It was a brutal time to be in Russia. Millions were killed, imprisoned, starved to death. And Stalin wanted to keep on good terms with the West, foreign aid, lots of other reasons. And so he thought the way to keep that going would be to create places within Russia which were free from, there's no hint of imprisonment or brutality or starvation, and he populated those places with happy, well-fed, happily factory-working, whistle-while-you-work people. Then he invited journalists to come from the West to visit, come and see what, what's happening in our wonderful country of Russia, but they only could go in those places. They would not be allowed to go anywhere else. And so they saw the whistle-while-you-work and the well-fed and the happy people, and they went back and wrote glowing reports about how Stalin is an amazing leader and the wonderful things that are happening, and the, the rapport was kept and the aid kept coming, and the people kept being starved and imprisoned and killed. Think of what you would have done if you would have been a journalist who, instead of seeing that, had seen what was really happening in the country and the sense of just the, the weeping and the horror and the, we have got to do something. Now, the reason I mention that is because if you're a follower of Jesus, then just like Stalin sought to dupe the Western journalists, Satan is trying to dupe you so that you won't see the destiny that your unbelieving friends face. Satan is working very hard because he knows you've been born again. You have a tender heart. You love people. And he knows that if you would think deeply about the fact that your next door neighbor is facing an outpouring of God's wrath forever, if you thought deeply about that, your heart would be stirred and you would love him or her and share the gospel with him or her and do all that you could to see See him or her saved. And so Satan works very hard so that you will not think about that. So you'll not ponder that. You'll not see it. And, and then we'll just go ahead with our lives as usual. But see, God loves your neighbor. God loves the world. 
He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. And so God has given us, his followers, a a tool, a weapon that we can use to expose Satan's deception so that we can see clearly the condition that our lost loved ones, friends, family members, neighbors are in, what they're going to face so that we will see and care and obey. And that weapon is it's God's word. One of the reasons in God's word that he writes about his wrath is so we won't be duped. It's real easy for us just to not think about that, right? It's painful to think about. Now, now some of you might be here this morning and you're thinking, I came on the wrong Sunday. <laughs> I was already at the end of my rope, feeling very, very low. And now we're talking about God's wrath. This is not what I needed to hear. Um, hmm. Well, if you're feeling that way, then just everything you hear this morning, just file it away. To process maybe at a later time. Okay. And yet on the other hand. We're going to be talking about some things today. That will be directly pertinent to you. With you feeling like you're at the end of your rope. We're going to be talking about God's mercy today. I'm going to give you a little bit of, of where we're going. And you're going to see God's love for you. And I hope before you leave today. You'll get prayer for whatever needs you're struggling with. But also one of the ways you can draw closest to the Lord. One of the greatest joys you will have. Is to understand what's happening in the world to understand eternity, to understand the need of your unbelieving friends and neighbors and to reach out to them in love. And as you do that, God will feed your soul. So it, it all comes together. He's, he has you here for a reason and he wanted me to preach this for a reason. Now, the reason I'm talking about all this is because the next 11 chapters in Isaiah are all about God's wrath. Okay. Chapters 11, I'm sorry, 13 through 23 11 oracles describing God's wrath, how it's going to be poured out upon 11 different nations. Now, the reason we're going to, we're covering 11 chapters in one Sunday, okay? And you don't need to order lunch already and have it brought in. We're going to, um, the reason we're doing 11 chapters is because there's a lot of repetition here, which I didn't think was important for us to go through verse by verse, but we're going to be, be giving the big picture of what's happening here. And I would encourage you to go through and study it more on your own. But you might be thinking, okay, but so still, are we going to really take a, a Sunday and a whole Sunday on God's wrath? Uh, let me encourage you along these lines. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 said that the Old Testament, the Old Testament, including Isaiah, was not written just for Old Testament believers. It was written for New Testament believers. God had Isaiah write chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, not just for those people back there to read, but for you to read today so that our eyes can be opened. We won't be duped. We'll see the wrath that's coming. So the Holy Spirit can appropriately stir our hearts with love and compassion and care. And we can advance the gospel. So let's dig in. Chapters 13 through 23. So who is going to receive God's wrath? Let's start there. And we got a map up here. Oh, there it is. Okay. Let's just go through these. First of all, chapter 13, verse one, the Oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos saw. Now Babylon's right over here. Okay. East of Israel. And from chapter 13, verse one, all the way through to 1423, Isaiah describes God's judgment that will be coming upon Babylon. Okay. Then, Chapter 14, 24 through 27, we have an oracle concerning Assyria. And Assyria 
is right here, okay? Another big old empire kind of to the northeast. And that goes through verse 27 of chapter 14. Just kind of follow along with me. And then in chapter 14, verses 28 to 32, an oracle about Philistia, which is right up here. Capital of Philistia is Tyre. Okay, so the judgment, the wrath of God that's going to be coming upon Philistia. Then chapters 15 and 16, look at chapter 15, verse 1. An oracle concerning Moab. Moab's right down here. Okay, this whole region here. So chapters 15 and 16 is the wrath of God that's going to be poured out upon Moab. That brings us up to chapter 17. Notice chapter 17, verse 1. An oracle concerning Damascus. And in chapter 17, 1 through 9, we read about God's judgment coming upon Damascus. But then in chapter, in verse 10, all the way through the end of chapter 18, it's all about how God's wrath is going to be upon the whole world. Okay, now notice, if you've got an ESV, how many of you have an ESV with a little, okay, a lot of you do. Chapter 18, the little title above that says, an oracle concerning Cush. It's not God's wrath upon Cush. He's using Cush as an example. You have to read it for yourself about how he wants to warn everybody. Political maneuverings won't stop God's wrath from coming. Won't make any difference. So that's the point of chapter 18. Okay, chapter 19. We're going to come back to 19 a little bit later. This is an amazing chapter. But chapter 19 and 20, notice 19.1, an oracle concerning Egypt. So Egypt is right down here. Okay, you got that? And then we have, that takes us through end of chapter 20. Then chapter 21, Babylon again. But notice verse 1, the oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. Now if you keep reading though and come to verse 9, you'll see that he's talking about Babylon. And the reason he talks about the wilderness of the sea is that God's wrath being poured out upon Babylon is going to be so devastating that they'll be left like a wilderness in the sea. Kind of a mixed metaphor, but it's a picture of the utter desolation that's going to be brought to Babylon because of God's wrath being poured out upon her. Okay, then a little tiny oracle against Duma, verses 11 and 12. Duma, hadn't even heard of Duma before, right there. It's a little kind of out of the way place, but God's wrath being poured out upon Duma. Chapter 21, verses 13 through 17, Arabia, which is down here, and like all down, this whole section down there below the map, it's verses 13 through 17. So now all these nations are getting God's wrath poured out upon them, but in chapter 22, we read here that there's an oracle, verse 1, concerning the valley of vision. And if you keep reading, you come to verse 9, you'll see that he's talking about Jerusalem, Israel. And so Israel doesn't escape this either because of their sin. We'll see more about that in a moment. And then the last one, chapter 23, verse 1, the oracle concerning Tyre, all of chapter 13 is about God's wrath being poured out upon Tyre, which is right up here. We already mentioned Philistia. Tyre is the capital city there of, of Philistia. Okay, so in these 11 chapters, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, we have 11 Oracles, where God is saying, I'm going to pour out my wrath upon these, these 11 countries. Now, when's this going to happen? Has it already happened? Is it still going to happen? As I read through these 11 chapters, I saw two themes. And I think that these two themes apply to every single country here. One theme is that this wrath is going to be poured out upon each specific country in their immediate future. In, 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 not all at the same time, but at different times in their immediate future. That's one theme. So wrath will be coming to each country in their immediate future. But there's a second theme, 
which applies to all these countries, and that God's wrath is finally going to be poured out upon the whole world at the end of history. Let me show you both of those themes. Go back to chapter 13. Here's the oracle about Babylon, chapters 13 through 14, 23. And I want to show you how both of these themes are here in, in this chapter about Babylon. First of all, look at verses 17 through 19. Look what God says. Behold, I'm stirring up the Medes against them. Heard of the Medes and the Persians? It's me historian buffs. I'm stirring up the Medes. God is stirring up the Medes against Babylon. The Medes have no regard for silver, do not delight in gold. They can't be bought off from their plan on conquering Babylon. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. Now, at the time that Isaiah was writing this, it's about 700 BC. At that time, Babylon seemed indestructible, massive, powerful, wealthy, dominating. 160 years later, this is exactly what happened. The Midianites came and the, the Medes and the Persians, I'm sorry, came and, and absolutely conquered Babylon, slaughtered the people, men, women, and children. It was devastated like Sodom and Gomorrah was back in the book of Genesis. Now, just one little comment here. It troubled me when I read this, and it might be troubling to you about the fact that the Medes had no mercy upon children. The children were killed in this process. Let me just try to give you a little bit of, little bit of a, Here's what, here's what helped me kind of process that. First of all, we have to understand that God judges people according to their understanding of God. And infants and newborns, they're not old enough to understand anything about God yet. Okay? And so these children were killed, yes, because of this judgment from the Medes. But the moment they were killed, they were immediately welcomed into God's loving arms. You got to see that. And I just had a second thought during worship this morning. And now, or when you're in heaven and you'll meet one of these children who are slaughtered by the Medes, and they will see the, the place they had in glorifying God's justice as God was judging their you know, uh, Babylon for their sinfulness. And they will thank God for the glory that was displayed in his justice and the, the, the place that they had in it. So they're welcomed immediately into God's loving arms. Cared for. Okay? And remember when David, uh, his son by Bathsheba, who, was ki- who, who became sick and died... And he prayed that God would heal him and God chose not to. And then David got up from his prayer and, and David says, um, he can't come to me because he's died, but I will go to him. That's a key passage. I think that, that when an, a newborn dies, they immediately go into the loving arms of the father. So I hope that that gives you a little bit of comfort here. But what I want you to be thinking about is this 160 years after these words in Isaiah chapter 13, God fulfilled this prophecy and God poured his wrath out upon Babylon and Babylon was devastated, demolished. That's one theme. 
But notice what else we read in chapter 13. Start in verse 9. And notice in these verses we're going to read now how the picture is global and far distant history. End of history. Verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. That phrase, day of the Lord, is a crucial phrase to start to become familiar with, especially as you read the Old Testament prophets. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, this future end times outpouring of wrath. The day of the Lord comes, cruel, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their lights. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil. The world, see that? And the wicked, all the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Ophir, Eastern Africa, very fine, very rare gold. Verse 13, therefore I will make the heavens tremble. And the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Do you see there that here God's wrath isn't just being poured out upon Babylon through the Medes. Here God's wrath is being poured out upon the entire world. So intense that the the heavens are going to be shaking, trembling, and the earth is going to be shaken out of its orbit. This outpouring of God's wrath against our our sinfulness. Okay, so two themes going through all these chapters. One is in each of these nations' histories, in the immediate future, God's going to pour his wrath out upon them in a specific way. But then the backdrop behind that, in the distant future, God's going to pour out his wrath upon the entire world. Now, why why would God do that? Why is God going to pour his wrath out upon the entire world? You might be listening to this thinking, but I thought God was love. I, I, the, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that God is love? And, and absolutely the Bible says that. And we're going to see a display of that in a moment. But the same Bible that celebrates God as a God of love also celebrates that God is a God of justice. Think about it like this. Uh, just recently, I saw the movie again, John Grisham novel, A Time to Kill. Anybody seen that movie or read the book? Okay. Anyway, I was really struck. Uh, uh, there's a father and his daughter is brutally kidnapped and raped. And, uh, and you, just, you watch the father just, he's just grieving. He's just broken. And he grabs a shotgun. Guys are arrested. Two guys. And he grabs a shotgun and he goes into the courthouse. And these two guys are being led to the, 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 the courtroom. And he comes out of a door and just blows them away. I said, yes! Now, he shouldn't have taken the law into his own hands, okay? Should, don't do that, all right? Okay? But there's just a sense of yes! Right? Because it's so wrong what these guys did. Blow them away! But let God do it. Okay? And so I, I want you to feel a little bit about the fact that God's just. And there's something that's just right about God judging sin. 
I know it's a little hard to get there because we're culpable too. And, and, and we've been saved through Jesus and, and we don't, we don't just say yes. We're also broken hearted. And so there's a, there's a mixture of feelings here, but part of it should be a yes, yes to God's justice. Okay. And when you read through these chapters, you see that God is absolutely just to punish sin. And I, I want you to feel this a little bit. It starts with the premise that that's here in these chapters, but it's especially clear in Romans chapter one. God has revealed himself to every human being clearly through creation. Romans one plain as day. Every human being knows God is God's wise. He's powerful. He's amazing. He's, he's loving. He cares for us. Look at this world he's given to us. And so every human being knows we should look to God for every need that we have. There's a creator who's loving and good. We should look to him for every need that we have. But what you see in these chapters is that the nations and and you and me, we've all chosen to turn our backs on God and not look to him. Look at chapter 22, verses 7 through 11 to see this. There's kind of two aspects of the wickedness of the nations in these chapters. One aspect is that we chose, we refused to look to God. We would not look to God. Isaiah 22, starting verse 7. This is describing Israel. You'd think Israel would look to God, but look at what they did. Verse 7. Your choicest valleys, Israel, were full of enemy chariots. And the horsemen took their stand, enemy horsemen took their stand at your gates. He, this enemy king, has taken away the, the covering of Judah. So Israel's facing enemy hordes against them. You'd think they'd look to God. That's not what they did. And of verse eight, in that day, you looked to the weapons of the house of the forest. You saw that the breaches of the city of David were many. You collected the waters of the lower pool. You counted the houses of Jerusalem. You broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. So they did all this preparation, preparation, preparation. And verse 11, but you did not look to him who did it, who brought this, these enemy nations against you or see him who planned it long ago. They would not look to God. And say, God, help us. And that's what every one of the nations has done. And, and that's what, what you've done. And that's what I've done too. Right? I mean, why is it that when we have a problem, a need, even just a small need, we make our plans, we think about this. And here there's a sovereign, infinitely powerful, loving, gracious, kind God who's just waiting to be asked to help. We don't want to because, well, for me, I'm just too proud. I don't want to bend the knee and surrender my life afresh to my sovereign king. And I mean, I, I, I do surrender often, but the reason I don't want to so often is because of that indwelling sin that's still there. They would not look to God. And then the result of that is that they became evil, sinful, proud, and ruthless. Look back to chapter 13, verse 11. See, if, when you look to God for your needs... When you look to your creator for your needs, he helps you. He meets you, gives you peace, gives you strength. Your heart is full. You're humbled. And so you can be loving and caring because God's meeting you. But when you don't look to God, your needs are not met. You become proud. You move into wickedness. You're ruthless. Chapter 13, verse 11. God says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Okay, so see, this is what every person in the globe has done. And, and the reason we know that is because this is what we've, we've all done. Okay, 
we've all turned our backs on God. And so God's response in injustice, his, his creation refused to turn to him. His, his creation, who he loves and cared for, refused to bend the knee and acknowledge him as their, their helper. And so his response in verse 13, chapter 13, Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Satan's trying very hard to not have you see that. If you're trusting Jesus, he's trying very hard to have you not think about that. So see it, read it, ponder it, and understand that this world, that we're, 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 we're here, we're living on this, this tangible world. The day is coming when God is going to pour his wrath out upon this world with such intensity that just like that verse says, the heavens will tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place. It's going to be an outpouring of God's wrath in judgment that will launch into eternal punishment for the world. <laughs> and, and whether somebody dies before that happens or is alive when that happens, everyone is going to experience it. Your neighbor's going to experience this. We, we, we've got to see this. Don't let Satan dupe you into not seeing this. We, we got to, we got to see this. God has given us his word. So we would see this because he's, we're born again. He softened our hearts. And when born again, people see this, we will be changed. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. Now, so is there, is there any hope then if God's going to pour out his wrath upon the whole world, Heavens are trembling. The earth is shaken out of its orbit. That's what God's going to do. Is there any hope? And there is. Okay, now, this is amazing. These 11 chapters are all about God's wrath being poured upon the nation, but there's also some amazing sections about God's mercy. And I want you to turn to Isaiah 19. This is wonderful. Look at what God says here. Chapter 19. This is the oracle about Egypt. Starting in verse 1, we have God's wrath that will be poured out upon Egypt. Okay, but now start reading in verse 21 and look at what God will also do. Isaiah 19, verse 21. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. You see that? The Egyptians are going to know the Lord. Hey, you got the pyramids, right? The Sphinx. The Egyptians are going to know the Lord. Keep going. Verse 22. And the Lord will strike Egypt striking and healing. That is, this is conviction for sin and then healing them. And they will return to the Lord and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. This is amazing. Egypt, but keep reading. There's more verse 23 in that day. There will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria way to the East and Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. 
So now the Assyrians are getting in on worshiping God. See that? Keep going. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. You know, the God called Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. You're going to be a blessing. Israel's going to be, be the means by which I, I spread the gospel. And now Egypt's going to be part of that blessing to touch the nations. Assyria's going to be part of that blessing to touch the nations. The nations are going to be saved. Verse 25, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, blessed be Egypt, my people. Who are God's people? Israel, right? Who else are God's people? Egypt, Assyria, Canadians. All right, right? Okay. Norwegians, Bolivians, Finlandians. Okay. Every nation, tongue, and tribe. Say, no, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just talked about God's justice. Yes. How Assyria and Egypt have, would not look to God and have turned from God. And so doesn't that sin have to be punished? Yes. No sin will remain unpunished. God is perfectly just. Every sin will be punished. Either in the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Canadians, the Bolivians, being punished by God forever in hell, or by God pouring his wrath for those sins out upon his son on the cross. That's why God can do what he does here. Because God poured his wrath, which was against these Egyptians, instead of upon them, he poured it upon Jesus, his son. And Jesus was willing to be punished in their place so they could be saved. And then God raised Jesus from the dead, right? Through the cross, God was pouring out upon Jesus punishment for my sin, punishment for your sin, punishment for these Egyptians and these Assyrians and these Israelis' sins. Then God raised Jesus from the dead. And now Jesus is moving. He's on the move throughout the earth saving men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe, bringing his power upon them, taking out their hearts of stone, giving them hearts of flesh, causing them to repent and trust what he's done, trust him to be their Lord, their Savior, their treasure. Jesus is on the move, saving people throughout the earth. Okay, so how does Jesus bring his saving power upon people? Let's bring it back home then. And the answer is, through you and through me. That's how Jesus does it. So we, we, we've, got, we've got to see the big picture. As we share the gospel with our neighbors, our family members, our friends, with love and humility and honesty and authenticity, God's power will come. And it's through the sharing of the gospel that God saves people. It's through speaking of who Jesus is with, with a, a humble life, a loving life, a life that shines with Jesus' love. It's through the speaking of the gospel and setting that God will bring his saving power upon people and change people. So, so what does this mean for us? Here, here's what this means for us. We've got to understand. Mercy Hill Church, we've got to get this. If you're trusting Jesus right now, then Satan is working very hard to not have you think about the fact that God's wrath is going to be poured out upon this world at the end of history. 
Satan works very hard to not have you think about that. Don't think about what your neighbor is going to face. Don't think about what your friend at work is going to face. Satan's working very hard to not have you think about that. Because he knows that if you think deeply about that, you will be changed. Your life will, your lifestyle, your priorities will change. You will find some way to go to them and to share the gospel with them. Now, let me give you a quote from Hudson Taylor. Here's how this impacted him. He wrote this in his journal when he was 33 years old. And he was describing a time just recently before that when God had just really hit him with this powerfully. So let's go on to the next slide and uh, listen to what he wrote. This is so powerful. This is how this impacted him. Hudson Taylor was the first inland China missionary, okay, in the 1800s. He's one of the reasons, you know, God worked, but why there's millions and millions of believers in China today. Because at that point, there were none. Now there's millions. This is what happens. He said he realized that a million a month were dying in China, dying without God. This was burned into my very soul. I scarcely slept night or day more than an hour at a time and feared I should lose my reason. My wife saw that something was going on. But I felt I must refrain as long as possible from laying upon her a burden so crushing These souls and what eternity must mean for every one of them. Let me read that again. A burden so crushing. These souls and what eternity must mean for every one of them. And what the gospel might do, would do for all who believed if we would take it to them. Now, see, right now, there's just like this, this war going on in, in my heart. I'm, I'm trying to feel this more. There's a war going on in your heart. Satan is trying to not have you get this right now. You're thinking, what's for lunch today? How are the 49ers going to do? You know, is it right? All these other things are coming into our minds. Focus on this. A burden so crushing these souls and what eternity must mean for every one of them. See, it's easy just to settle into kind of the normal Western world form of Christianity where we we love our wives and care for our kids, and that's really important, and work hard at our jobs, and that's really important, and just kind of live our lives in our Christian bubble, if you will, and and we, we don't weep over the lost. I weep very little over the lost. I'm trying to memorize some scriptures. Luke 19, 41 and 42 about Jesus. When he drew near and saw the city, Jerusalem, you know what he did? Picture your, your Lord, your Jesus, weeping, sobbing over Jerusalem. Romans 9, 1 through 3, Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. He says, because you may not believe this. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart 
For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So here's, here's Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Here's Paul. If you looked into his heart, he was rejoicing in the Lord, but he also had great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. And why don't I feel that very much? Why don't you feel that very much? Satan wants to dupe us to this. So I just, I just want to plead with you, church, for the sake of Jesus' glory in your neighborhood, for the sake of Jesus' glory at your workplace, for the sake of your neighbor who is going to face this wrath, for the sake of the person you work with who's going to face this wrath, don't let anything ev- cause you to miss seeing and feeling that and thinking deeply about it until your heart starts to be changed. I try to think of an illustration. Let's say that you're, you're up on a, on a bluff, maybe, maybe more like a, a mountain in Santa Cruz. And then you look down and then there's the, the beach way down there. And, and it's 4th of July and it's packed with people. But you're up, you're up higher elevation and you look off in the distance and there's a massive tidal wave coming. Okay. It's still way off, but like that, you're safe. Okay. You're on high elevation, still way off. You'd have plenty of time to go down and tell the people. And you know that unless they leave the beach, they're going to be slaughtered. What would you do? Anyone? Anyone? You'd, you'd, you'd go, wouldn't you? But so why is it? I mean, I'm asking myself this. Why is it, Steve, that you can just stay up there on the hilltop? Meet with my home group. Love my wife, love my kids, give money, you know, right, to other things. But why is it that I can stay there and, and so easily not go? Is there a good reason? Can anybody think of a good reason? I mean, we're talking about eternity here. Eternity. Now, you might be thinking, uh, Pastor Steve, you know, this would really change things. If I, it, it, what you're talking about, do you, do you realize what you're talking about? This would really change things. Yeah, I don't, I don't see the full extent of it, but I feel the same thing. This would change things. This would change the way we live our lives. Now, you need to integrate this in. Keep loving your wife. Keep loving your husband. Keep caring for your kids. Keep working at your job. Honor the, the job policies about these things, right? Okay, so... But at the same time, start moving towards your neighbors with love and care. Let me just encourage you. This last summer, we took a, our, our home group leaders, gathered them together, and we had a, a home group leaders home group. And we all start just we're praying about taking steps to move ahead in this. And what I found happening in my heart was that I started, as I started taking little steps, it started to feel like natural to me. And then God gave me boldness to take some more bold steps. And those felt natural to me. And then, and then pretty soon it started to feel very natural. Things are really humming in our neighborhood now. Lots of connections. Whereas two, three years ago, there were very few connections in our neighborhood. And so my encouragement to you is, I want to ask you to pray in a second and just ask the Lord to come and say, Jesus, what, what step do you want me to take this week? This week. Because as you take one step towards a neighbor towards somebody at your workplace, towards a family member who's unbelieving, as you take one step, God's face will shine upon you and you will feel his pleasure and you'll be hooked 
And then you'll, you'll take more steps. And, and, and I want to encourage you just to take one step because then your life will start to move in this so that going and talking to people about the Lord Jesus Christ will start to feel very comfortable, whereas it may not feel at all comfortable right now. And I want to encourage you to do this. Home group is crucial for this. Now, if you're not in a home group, okay, find some way to, to maybe ask the home group leader who's nearest to you to pray for you about this or try to find some way that you can get support. Because the main way we encourage this in our group is to have some brothers and sisters around you where we're all in this together and we're all kind of scared together and we're all wanting to take some steps together and we pray for each other and we get trained together and we do things together and take baby steps together. So pursue this in the home group. But I just want to urge you and encourage you to, to see this. Satan wants you to not see this. He wants you to go into Stalinist Russia and just say, what a wonderful place. Everything's fine. Everybody's happy, right? Everybody goes to a better place. And just outside the borders, there's horrifying things happening. And in the future, there's horrifying things happening. And we need to see it. We need to see it. You see, God loves your neighbor. That's why he has you here this morning looking at these hard things. God loves your work associate. That's why he had Isaiah write 11 chapters on his wrath. God loves the family member who's not believing, which is why he had you be here this morning to to take this in so that you can see and just ask the Lord to change you and to start giving you steps to take ahead. So church, I just plead with you. Souls live forever. Jesus is the only way. Your neighbor is going to exist forever. And Jesus is the only way. And the way that Jesus has ordained that your neighbor hear about Jesus is through you. These truths are just life changing. Eternity is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. The gospel is powerful. Jesus shed his blood to save men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe. We are called. That's what we're doing between now and when we go home. So let's just take this in and say, yes, Lord, and move ahead. So I'm praying that 2011, 2011 will be the year that we will all as a church just keep moving ahead, growing in this. See, as you're faithful in this, praying for people, loving people, sharing the gospel of people, you will see your neighbors, your friends, your work associates saved. As we work together, as we pray together, as we love together, as we share the gospel, as we encourage each other along, you will have the joy of seeing someone saved and drawn into your home group, saved and drawn into your fellowship, saved and boarding in before your eyes. You will see this. He's promised That's what the book says. We've got to go and we've got to speak. Got to love, care.
Let's pray together. I want us to stand. This is just so, so intensely powerful, Lord. And it is so big. And I ask for your power to come. I don't feel like I've done anywhere near giving, doing justice to this topic. But Lord, you, you can come. Would you come and take the words that I've said, especially take the words from your word. And right now, would you bring your power upon us? I pray. And I just want to encourage you. Would you ask the Lord? What do you want me to do? What, what's the one step Spirit of Jesus, what's the one step that you're giving me to take this week? We're not all the same. We're in different places. We have different, the people we're, we're connecting with are different, but, but Jesus has a step for you to take this week. I guarantee it. He has a step for you to take this week. It might be to set aside time to pray. It's a good place to start. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your work associates. It might be to, to maybe go and, and uh, knock on the door of a neighbor and invite him over or call him up or get their email address. Watch the Stanford game tomorrow night over at your house. It might be to, to sit down with somebody at work and just, just share the Lord with them, share the gospel with them. But the Lord has a step for you to take. No one who's born again or everyone who's born again, he has a step for every one of us here. He has a step for this week. So Lord, I pray that you'd come right now. What are you calling us to do? What are you calling me to do this week? Lord, ask him and he'll tell you, he'll tell you. What are you calling me to do this week? Lord Jesus. And then if the thought of that just petrifies you with fear, Ask Jesus to help you with that. He will. He will. He will help you with that. If you feel inept or un, 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 uh, like not skilled enough or not knowing enough, ask him to help you. He'll help you. He'll help you. Lord, I pray that no one would leave here duped any longer, that none of us would be willfully blind to the destiny that our neighbors and fellow workers and family members who aren't believing that we would, we would see this. And Jesus, would you give us some of what you experienced as you were looking at Jerusalem? Would you enable us to weep? Would you do that, Lord? Would you break our hearts? Would you give us some of what you put into Paul's heart? Great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. For the lost. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for not wanting to think about that because we'd be too painful or it would change our lives too much if we responded to it. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. Cleanse us, Lord. Cleanse us, Jesus, I pray. Change us by your power. For love's sake, would you help us this week to connect with neighbors, friends? family members. Lord Jesus, we praise you for how you've saved us. 
Thank you for having someone share the gospel with us. Lord, we want to share the gospel with others now. So strengthen us in this, I pray. Increase your power upon us even more, I pray, Lord. Strengthen us in this. Help us to see more clearly eternity and the cross and your love and our call. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.